The Miami Hurricanes dominated college ball for 10 years in the 80s and early 90s. One state, two teams, who collided in two titanic meetings simply known as wide right. 35-yard field goal to win it. Good snap. Here's the kick. It is up. It is no good. Florida State trails 19 to 16. The snap is back. The kick is on the way. It is no good. Wide to the right. Since those fateful games, Florida State has dominated the rivalry, physically and emotionally, winning six of seven, including five straight. Now the Canes are once again ready to challenge the Seminoles and reclaim their spot among the nation's elite. Florida State is on a 15-year run of sustained excellence. Today, the Canes provide a roadblock on their path to a repeat national title. As the Knolls continue their pursuit, to join the greatest teams in college football history. It's hurricane season. Play fake. Intercepted by Morgan. He could go all the way. He's got shot by Morgan. There's Cheney who knocks him out of bounds. Dorsey back. As time goes into the end zone. Touchdown. Shockey, the backup tight end. Oh, my gracious. 49 yards for the tie. He's got the distance. He does not have the kick. Miami has won. Big time players step up in big games. That's all I got to say. Man, chills. Straight up chills. Listen to those clips Mike Zimmerman cut up for us. My name's Manny Navarro. I'm the Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic and, of course, your host here at Wide Right. 20 years ago when that football game was played, I was a 22-year-old senior in college at FIU, a young up-and-coming sports writer at the Miami Herald and just straight up a college football fan who got tickets to enjoy the game and get drunk. Uh, I just remember getting to the Orange Bowl early as hell in the morning with my ex-girlfriend and her younger brother having breakfast and tailgating for like three hours before the game. It was so much fun, the game itself. I mean, just blazing hot. I remember somewhere near the west end zone, that's where we were sitting, uh, probably midway uh, up, and the final touchdown catch by Jeremy Shockey with 46 seconds left was on the other side of the field. I just remember that moment feeling this explosion from the fans, just like this roar that I hadn't ever experienced in my life, the loudest I'd ever heard that Orange Bowl. Um, And then I was behind the goalpost late in the game when FSU kicker Matt Munyon missed the 49-yarder. I remember at that time just straight-up pandemonium, people uh, singing, it's great to be a Miami Hurricane and bleep the Seminoles and just one of the greatest games I've ever seen. Where were you, Mike Zimmerman? Oh, Manny, I was home in Jersey, um, and that was about two or three years after I became a Hurricane fan, and up to that point, I I never really knew Miami as a national championship contender, a big-time program, uh, a 10-win, 11-win team, a dominant team year in and year out, and I think that game kind of turned the tide for me as a fan because I finally first experienced... Miami becoming that powerful program that everybody talked about from the 80s and 90s. So I was home in Jersey watching that game, and I still remember here in Santana Moss after that game, big-time players step up in big games. Honestly, Mike, I think that was probably the last time I got to enjoy a football game as a fan, and I mean that. I mean, I've been Mr. Journalist, podcast host, sports writer, Pretty much ever since then, I can tell you the only time I ever felt the crowd get as loud as that one in the OB that day was when the Heat won game five of the of the 2006 NBA Finals. Uh, Dwayne Wade basically went nuts and the Heat 
rallied basically from two down to beat the Mavericks and win the championship. I was at all six of those games, including the ones in Dallas. And uh, Game 5 NBA Finals, late comeback, it was raucous. But really, that day in the OB was just special. Uh, this project has been so much fun, Mike Zimmerman. I'm glad we did this because I want Miami fans to enjoy it. Not only you know my experience and what it was like 20 years ago in the Orange Bowl, but really the players themselves and what it meant to them. Uh, there were so many elements besides the football game that made FSU-UM memorable. Uh, I wrote a long story in The Athletic on it for our Throwback Thursday coverage we're doing during this college football season. So if you want to read, I've got a bunch of content on that game there. It's only a dollar a month right now, still here in the month of September. Um, but I wanted you to also be able to hear from the players uh, so let's get going with that uh, and what led up to the game, uh, what it was like for Miami. They were 3-1, and one, ranked 7th in the AP poll, really trying to get to where FSU was. The Seminoles were the defending national champions, had a 17-game win streak, and a quarterback who was 28 years old. Uh, here's Miami starting right tackle Joaquin Gonzalez on what it was like leading up to that game. You know, that week... You know, obviously, as soon as we come in Sunday after, I forget who who we had played uh, the prior week. I think we were coming maybe off of a bye week, and we had played Rutgers the week before. If I recall, if I if I could recall correctly, maybe I'm wrong, but I I'm not sure who we had played. But I just remember that coming in the Sunday leading into game week, as soon as you walked into the Hex Center, you had the the uh, the um, speakers inside of the locker room just blaring the chants. Really? And that Sunday? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that Sunday leading up. And that chant played nonstop 24 hours a day until, you know, we came back the Sunday for the following week game or whatever it was. So it wasn't like if it was it was off at 2 to 4, like if it was a gimmick for two hours. And then, no, 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 no. It was, again, it was kind of like a Chinese torture or getting us ready to, you know, to really fucking despise this guy. It's not that we needed any more help, but I think that that really put in perspective and got the mind right and the psyche right of the guys going into that week. And it was like, hey, don't, don't, you know, don't get this confused. This game is different. As much as we may want to say it tongue in cheek to the media and as much as we don't want to say that this is just a game like any other. I mean, there's some significance, a lot more to it than just the game. You know, the recruiting aspect of it, the, you know, the, the, the title for the state of Florida, who's a better team, uh, the fact that we had lost that for so many years in a row. So leading up to it, obviously, Florida State is, right, it, it, you know, the, the, the emotion and the, the pep and the step, you know, everything from, like, your classroom, like, the teachers at UM knew that it's, you know, everybody knows that it's Florida State week, you know what I'm saying? So, being able to be part of that game, not you know, not only be part of the team, but being a starter and being one of the key guys on the team, and it, it was just such a fun, you know, but it also, it also adds so much pressure to your performance, and, you know, I do remember us, that particular week, I mean, staying after practice, doing extra stuff. I remember us breaking down film. I remember that Thursday night at Flanagan's, we actually had dinner. We came back, and we saw film almost like about 11 o'clock at night. And then we ended up, I, I never stayed at the dorms. I stayed at home. And I remember going back and staying with Bibla, Bibla Romberg, Puckett, and uh, Joe Fonagrassi all shared uh, an apartment, and they were uh, sweet mates in an apartment. I remember staying that night over, uh, and on that Friday, again, 
Friday is usually a walkthrough. Uh, but I remember just not going to class that Friday and just going back into the building early in the morning and continuing to break down the, the defensive ends that we were going up against. Uh, specifically for me and Brian, uh, we made it a point to get there early. So again, the preparation for that game, I hate to say it now because you want to prepare for every opponent the same, but, you know, we knew that this was key, bro, that this was, if we want to, you know, if we want to beat back to national prominence, you gotta, and that's kind of like the games today. I mean, the, the fun part about it today is that we're not winning the games that we're supposed to. And, you know, back then we were winning the games that we were supposed to, but the games that we had to win, the close ones, we always lost them, you know, early on, you know, my first two years. And this was the first game that was a close one where, hey, it went Miami's way. And why was it all of the extra stuff that we did in the off season? Or I think it's a combination of a lot of it. It's that. It's the fact that we had a lot more talent across the board. We had depth. You know, and we had guys that were just sick and tired of fucking losing, and they were willing to do whatever the fuck it took. All right, so obviously you heard some colorful language there from Joaquin. I'm pretty sure if I played the entire 40-minute interview for you with him, uh, we'd have to use the bleep button at least a thousand times. He was so fired up talking about that game and the Canes. Uh, he's such a passionate uh, former player who's got great opinions, and hopefully we can get him on the podcast more often. But I love that interview. Listen, Dan Morgan was excellent, too. He's Miami's all-time leading tackler, was the Buckus Award winner, Bednarik Award winner. I mean, he was the man back in 2000 at middle linebacker and you know he he also had some great memories from that game yeah i mean just first and foremost it was the hottest game i ever played in mm -hmm. hands down um the humidity i mean just feeling the sun beating on your neck in pre-game um it was it was like no other day that i've ever played there um so i was obviously sweating my butt off i had, was cramping big time at, at halftime had to get a bunch of IV bags at halftime. Wound up coming back in the in the third quarter from the locker room, so I missed part of the beginning of the third quarter mm -hmm. just because I was cramping so bad in the locker room. Um, but yeah, just how hot it was. Um, you know, obviously my interception in the end zone from a personal standpoint that that'll always stay with me. Uh, right before halftime, it's a big, um, huge play. I mean, uh, do you, do you remember what what the what what it was that led that to that pick? I guess, and what what you sort of saw, or, or no? Is it I just <laughs> I, I don't really remember. I just know that I I knew that it wasn't a, a run. I could kind of sense it mm -hmm. um, before the play, so I kind of just stayed there and I read the quarterback and just jumped in front of it. So yeah. Uh, you know, it was just it was just one of those plays vividly that you know sticks in sticks in your head. And then obviously, you know, I always remember Shockey when he caught the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, it was just it was one of those games, man. It's definitely like a lot of memories. And then obviously, them missing the field goal late and us winning the game, right. um, kind of running around the field, and, <laughs> you know, hugging your teammates, hugging your coaches, man. It was very memorable. Morgan, of course, played a huge role in Miami's 27-24 victory that day. Had an interception of Chris Winkie late in the first half. An important play because if FFU scores any points there, the game would have played much differently. Instead, Miami took a 17-0 lead into the half and then sort of held on for dear life before Dorsey and company had to drive down the field for the winning touchdown. Um, certainly much more led into that game. 
the heat played a part of it, the noise. I'm, I'm not sure anybody really captured what the atmosphere was like in that stadium that day better than Miami center Brett Romberg. Of course, you can hear Brett Romberg now on 1210 The Man down here in South Florida all the time. Such a great radio personality. But here's what he had to say about that game, what it felt like, what it sounded like. Walking into the Orange Bowl and seeing the bleachers in the open end zone and seeing the celebrities on the sideline, um, it, it was almost it was almost mind numbing to the point where you know you're always telling with the cliches of, of blocking out noise or distractions as, as an athlete. You hear that from your coaches quite a bit. Right. Um, but when you have like Jay Z and Shaquille O'Neal and you know some of the Hollywood elites standing beside you on the sideline, regardless the fact that you have the legends that used to play there that you're watching on Sundays, you're actually seeing Hollywood people that you see on TV and movies standing on your sideline. So at that point in time, you know, you know, it's a, it's a spectacle, and, and and the noise was something that was another thing that I wasn't used to experiencing. We experienced it earlier in the season when we went to Washington. Right. And lost. Um, and that was my first real, holy crap, this is loud experience I've ever had in my life. And I was a concert goer. So right. uh, I was like, man, this is, this is, this is, uh, like brain echoing type of cheering. And then I, I, I felt the same type of, of, uh, what was I called? Decibel level, I guess you could say that, that you would feel either being in a concert or some type of epic arena. We're running on the football field. Every step you take, it actually feels like your brain is moving inside your skull due to the, the, the noise level and the equilibrium that is getting tested by your eardrums. It's crazy. It's a, it's a hard, it's a hard feeling to explain. Um, but I've only experienced it a few times in my playing career. And it's, and it's basically either been in Seattle, either University of Washington or against the Seahawks or the Florida State games. And that's really the only times that I've experienced the, as you're running to a huddle, you get every step you take, it feels like it's like a rah, rah, rah. It, it kind of mimics your feet pounding onto the earth and you almost feel as if you're like one with what's going on in the universe, in the stadium, in the fans, whatever it is. It's a really unique experience. The heat was just unbearable. I mean, 85 degrees, 94% humidity. It was sticky. It was nasty. Normally, you have a breeze come in through the open end of the Orange Bowl on the east side. But in this game, you didn't because they brought in extra bleachers for the game. 80,000 plus there to watch it. So it basically trapped the heat on the field, didn't let it escape. Essentially, I mean, you had a bunch of guys in IVs because of that. Dan Morgan ended up missing part of the third quarter because he was still in the locker room getting an IV um, you know, from heat exhaustion. After the game, there were dozens of Miami players who needed IVs, including quarterback Ken Dorsey. You know, I also ended up out there in the, the hospital. I mean, I, I ended, up try, you know, ended up going and, and having to get an IV also. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I was, I, was, I was just probably at a different one than Brett. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was hot. It was, you know, it was ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was that type of game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Nobody, though, had it worse than Dorsey Center. I mean, Brett Romberg, when you listen to this story, it's pretty amazing. Coming from Canada, I'm not used to experiencing fall weather like that you know right. although i was there at that point in time for a couple of years already um i've never been able to see mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it was like it was like you saw the temperature and then and then, and then the lack of, uh, of of escaping air because of the bleachers coming out of the one end of the end zone it was just it was almost dead at that point in time there was no wind there was nothing and you could see almost like looking across the desert in a movie scene where, where, where it ripples a little bit. You could see that on the field. That's how hot it was. And and I've never experienced fatigue like that because of heat. Obviously, Butch ran a pretty physical, dragging, difficult camp with three-a-day practices, but I've never experienced, like, within a couple-hour instance, the amount of fatigue that I've ever experienced before. So to give you uh, an idea... After the game was done, um, I've never experienced cramping before in my life either. I've never had to get IVs or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And after this game was done, I'm with my parents walking through the the no-blocky neighborhood of the OB. (laughs) And and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm starting to wobble a little bit. I'm trembling. And my dad looks at me, and he's like, what's going on right now? Because, again, Canadian, uh, not knowing what the hell's going on with my body at that point in time. And, again, my parents are only able to see me, you know, once a year. And, and that's really, it was it was weird for them to see me, like, kind of grow annually into this now what is, like, people are recognizing me as I'm walking through. There's Romberg. There's Romberg because of the long hair, the identifiable long hair, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, my shaking turns into not being able to move because... I'm suffering from heat stroke at that point in time, and I'm severely dehydrated. Without, unbeknownst to me, I just, you know, I did whatever I did to win a football game. Not familiar with the way your body feels dehydrated, nor nor heat stroke ridden. And all of a sudden, I'm panicking, and people are, like, giving me waters because I, I literally, my whole body locks up as I'm walking to my parents' vehicle through the Orange Bowl area. And and uh, I'm, I'm drinking that nasty, disgusting cooler water Oof. out of the bottom of people's coolers that have, like, beer labels in them, the glue from the bottles, uh, empty bottles that, you know, had a little bit of beer left in them. But I am so severely dehydrated and panicking at that point in time that I'm literally drinking cooler water in order to try to settle my body down. And I couldn't make it any further. I actually had to lay down, and, and embarrassingly enough, the ambulance had to pick me up outside of the Orange Bowl they had to actually call the ambulance because Scott McGonagall, Scott McGonagall, the trainer at that point in time, I called him and I said, I don't know what's going on with me, but I can't move and I'm in a lot of pain and my body's locking up. So the ambulance picks me up. I'm in the back of the ambulance and then they're all of a sudden just stabbing me everywhere they can. My legs, my arms, they're trying to give me, I'm getting like four IVs at a time. And, uh, and that night I actually spent in, uh, in the emergency room until about two o'clock in the morning. Holy uh, cow. IVs. Yeah, getting IVs and, and rehydrating myself. And even after getting IVs, I still weighed 14 pounds less than I did before the game. After all of those fluids got put back in me, I still weighed 14 pounds less than I did prior to the game. Wow. So I was, I was, I was down. I was down and out. The Hurricanes, though, still found a way to win, even after Florida State erased a 20-10 to lead and looked like they were going to steal the game late. 
after Miami fumbled. Uh, Chris Winkie hits Andrews Bell on a 29-yard touchdown pass with a minute 37 to go. That's, of course, though, when Ken Dorsey, all of 19 years old and just beginning to show people what he was made of, led what is now known as the drive. Seven plays, 68 yards, 51 magical seconds of brilliance. Well, almost brilliance. Even now, Dorsey, who is the Buffalo Bills quarterback coach, he can tell you just about everything that happened on that drive. You know, I know we, we kind of started off the drive with uh, hitting Santana on a little angle route coming back underneath, and, and he ran for it after the catch. Had a nice play there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we hit Shockey on some flat routes, you know, getting out of bounds. Mm-hmm. We got another chunk play to, to Reggie on an in cut. He made a nice, you know, like a nice catch for me on, on a low ball, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was the backside receiver on an in cut to the right. Um, that was uh, uh, a good chunk of, uh, to, to get us closer. I think the, the biggest thing I remember is, like, I missed him on a go ball to the right you know, earlier in that drive, mm-hmm. uh, Reggie, Reggie, I miss him there. And like, uh, I'm out, I'll never forget. Like I'm, I'm looking to the sideline to get the play. And like all the former players are, are on the sideline. And like, you know, one of the older receivers who was there was like halfway on the field, like yelling at me, like, just give him a chance. Just give him a chance. <laughs> that know? wasn't Irvin, was it? Was that Michael Irvin? I'm not naming any names, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, it, was, it was a former player who right. you know, was out there just yelling. <laughs> like, you know, uh, but, uh, uh you know, so so I remember that, but then uh, we were able to move down. And then obviously it was a, a drive concept. Uh, Santana coming underneath on a shallow mm-hmm. was shot. He was shot. He was actually supposed to run like an in cut, like cut off sharp. Yeah. But the the defender had underneath like inside leverage on him, so we had to kind of wrap it around and cause him to take a little more vertical. And we were able to adjust and fit in there. Um, you know, for the for the touchdown pass. Um, you know, fortunately, we uh, Joaquin jumped off. Uh, Paul started for us to give us a little bit more room on that play. Well, so I was going to ask you because Joaquin <laughs> says he did that on purpose. Oh, for sure, without question, he did. He, did you tell him? To, did you tell him to jump? He, said, he, <laughs> no. he, he suggested it. He said we need more room to get that to get that play in. We needed more room. Without, you- yeah, without question. I, 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 and I'll Day, I'll, I'll definitely stand up for him on that one. He definitely did that on purpose. <laughs> it's really amazing to hear the details all these years later and how guys viewed what happened on that drive. Both Brett Romberg and Joaquin Gonzalez were great, uh, giving us some background on why Miami was so good on that drive. Here's what they said. We worked tirelessly. Uh, Rob Chudzinski was an amazing offensive coordinator at the University of Miami. Like, we would have our offensive line dinners on Thursday night at Flanagan's where we would go out. And me and Joaquin, we would share our wings, and I would have my Philly chicken with mushroom and onion, and Joaquin would either get, like, the slab of ribs or whatever. We would always have our Thursday night meals. And uh, we would always end up, after our Flanagan's trips, heading back to the University of Miami. Every single time, Rob Chudzinski's light was on in his office. The only one in the building. It could have been 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And I think this is where Kenny got a lot of his work ethic from, to be honest with you. That's why Kenny stays in the offices until 1 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and doing what he does. And I think it's because of the example that Chud left for him. And Chud was in there, X's and O's, every Thursday night, super late, trying to implement, put stuff in. And, and we were so good at our two-minute drill. It was it was clockwork, the way that we would run our two-minute drills on Thursdays and Fridays. And... Um, 
very rare. It was very, it was very Peyton Manning esque in the Indianapolis Colts back in the day, where no balls were on the ground. It was efficient. It was, it was productive. No wasted time. No wasted motion. And I felt like it, it really did transpire on the football field on that final drive. I thought that um, some of us were just. You know, anything we had left in us, anything. Like, there was times, I think you could probably even see in one of the plays where I'm just hanging on. Like, my legs are locked. I'm not even bending anymore. I'm just so damn tired that I'm just hanging on for dear life, hoping that nothing happens bad. I don't give up a sack during that final two-minute drill. And, and, uh, and, and really, that was it. And then Joaquin yelling at me because he thought it was my fault that he jumped offside, which is really ironic. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so it, it's, uh, I, I do, and the more and more, obviously, people bring the drives to my attention, and, and the more I, I get into the good old days, um, I, I love I love going back and, and watching that drive or, or talking about it with other guys and just learning their perspective on it. So everybody obviously has their own story. Dorsey was, uh, there's no doubt about it, that Dorsey is a damn nerd for the game. And, you know, Chud was the same way. Chud was trying to carve out a name for himself as well. And I think that specifically when you look at not not only that game, but when you look at the two-minute drills that we ran most of my last two years there, uh, predominantly you'll see, you know, such a quick striking offense and it was mainly because of like the calls that we had. So the fact that Dorsey, when, when we would break a huddle off of the drive that was going to start that two minute drill, and I'm not sure if Robert got into this with you, but we already have probably about three plays and it's very simple for offensive line because when you're in a two minute drill, even in the NFL, you go off of one basic package in terms of the protection where there, you know, there's always going to be a dual read for the offensive line. You know, you're, it's five guys against four down linemen. You got to pick up one of the two linebackers and then one other linebacker. One of the other three linebackers is picked up by the, by the running back. And that's the standard package that you go. So the ability to get, the plays in quickly and have a quarterback that understood and that it was no doubt that came because of the level of nerdiness of freaking you know Dorsey and the fact that he was truly a student of the game no doubt about it obviously the offense was judged which was great Dorsey of course credited much of Miami's late game success on the ridiculous scout team he had to face in practice I mean you you look at some of the names on that scout team Vince Wolfork, Antro Roll, Sean Taylor I mean there were so many guys who were just beasts, and those are the guys that were on Miami scout team that year. And I think one of the best parts about practice, too, is like, you know, um, a lot of those guys on our scout team were future, you know, first-round picks Mm -hmm. and future NFL football players. So, like, when we go, you know, on the scout team, it wasn't like, uh, hey, let him touch the ball and, like, you know, get open and, you know, he's going to be wide open. I mean, those teams were, hey, if you're on a scout team, they're they're going to be freaking, you know, not, you know, doing everything they can to break it up, to, you know, to intercept the pass, whatever it is, you know what I mean? So, like, our, our scout team did a great job, you know, taking that personal and taking that, you know, task of, not, you know, not just giving us a look, giving us a competitive look and giving us a, a you know, look that was going to prepare us for the game from a, you know, quality of the look standpoint, but also quality of the, the effort and quality of the competition. Like that competition was huge, huge. Even with that great touchdown drive, it all came down to that final kick. FSU had 46 seconds left. And let me tell you, Miami's was sweating it out. Uh, Romberg, I mean, 
him, Joaquin, uh, Dorsey, they were all sort of on their hands and knees there (laughs) that last drive, praying that the defense would come through with a stop. In the end, Matt Munyon got one final attempt, pushed it to the right. But, God, to hear Romberg tell it, it's, it's, it's great. Unfortunately, leaving that amount of time on the clock yeah. after scoring so quickly, that was another thing like, okay, we got we did our job now. And then all of a sudden starting to watch, you know, I believe it was Wanky, right? Yep. Yeah, it was Wanky climb up and down the football field, and I'm like, oh, shit. Well, I was going to read that. I was going to read that to you so you could you could see if it, see if it sparks a memory of what you were doing on the sideline during all of this. So. Crossing. Every freaking part of my body, nuts, ankles, fingers, toes, you name it, just praying to God. We were literally on the sideline taking a knee, watching it go down and, you know, holding hands. We were, you know, anything that we could have done, I felt like we did. We left out on that football field as an offense, as an offensive line unit in particular, and watching Florida State and how powerful they were and how explosive and their weapons that they had. Wanky, obviously, being a 65-year-old quarterback in college, um, having that intelligent level, uh, intelligence level obviously worked to his favor and his big body and, and the fact that he was good scrambling and the receivers that he had. I was... I don't want to say I was nervous because obviously we had all the confidence in the world, but it's Florida State. It's... It's the stories you read your kids about as a Miami Hurricane fan back in the day. And this could be that possible time where it could come down to a wide or a left uh, or a right or whatever kicker. But, you know, all the cliches you want to throw into that last second drive that a quarterback has the opportunity to to plant his flag. And, and we were watching it unfold before our eyes with us having no possible ability to contribute as an offensive line because our job was ultimately done now when we put it in the hands of our defense. Canes emerged with a win, wide right three. It's what everybody knows it as now, but I hope that you got a chance to really enjoy this. I know I did, uh, you know, taking a trip down memory lane, reliving all of uh, the great moments in that game beyond just what happened X's and O's wise. Uh, just one of the greatest games in, in Hurricanes history. For Mike Zimmerman, I'm Manny Navarro. The Canes and Seminoles will meet for the 65th time Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. at Hard Rock Stadium. We'll be back with coverage from the game and a look ahead to the beast waiting for Miami up in South Carolina a few weeks. You know that team in purple and orange. Miami will be seeing them soon. See ya. And that is a huge anvil that has been lifted from the shoulders of Butch Davis. A thriller in the Orange Bowl. Miami wins it by three. The new Miami. The new.